Now you're welcome along to Golf Weekly. Great to have you with us. I am happy to say we are joined by Mr. Spowell himself, Peter Laurie. Hello. Hi, Joe. And back with us after a time away, a week away of replenishment and relaxation is Fjell in Davenport. Hello. Hi, Joe. You pretty much left your fio- your your uh, phone rather in the back pocket and got away mm. from the world. Nice. Yeah, I went to I went to I went to Mull uh, off the coast of Scotland and as a travel writer for the first few weeks when I'd planned the holiday which was planned by my in-laws I thought I was going to the Mull of Kintyre and so Macrahanish which is an old Tom Morris course is on the Mull of Kintyre and it's one of those you know legacy courses that if you get a chance to play you want to play so I was all excited it was only about a week or so before I went that I realized that the Mull of Kintyre and the Isle of Mull are two completely different places and they're separated by about three and a half hours car drive so um i ended up going to the isle of mull which had no golf but honestly caribbean like beaches and the weather was glorious for the first few days and but where i was calgary bay there was no phone signal no internet no nothing and it was glorious i mean really glorious for the first maybe the first half day you know, he who's kind of attached to his phone, always trying to keep up and what's going on, et cetera, et cetera, had a, probably a little mini panic attack. And then as soon as you realize there's nothing you can do about it, I just, I, I gave in to the silence and was all the better for it. Yeah, nice, nice. Must do it myself sometime soon. So we've loads to get through. Shane Ryan is going to join us. Shane Ryan now is a welcome guest in the podcast. And you might have seen on Twitter, he was talking about this over the weekend. He followed Bryson around on Saturday and Sunday and Bryson on the Sunday in particular on the back nine. I mean, he picked an interesting back nine to follow. And he was a bit taken aback and grimmed out, frankly, at the abuse that DeChambeau was getting. And we could hear this on the TV. We got a sense of this. Like there was a moment where very audibly a woman on the tee box said, go Brooksy. And there was a long pause, and then he said, good one. So for the man who's not bothered by this, I think we all understand what's going on here. He's immensely bothered by this, and I think understandably so. So um, we'll come to Shambo. Obviously, Abraham Anser was the winner, beat Sam Burns and Hideki Matsuyama in a playoff, but Harris English was the story in uh, so many ways. So we have that to talk about. Shane Ryan's going to join us in the next uh, couple of minutes. Obviously, uh, Nelly Korda did her thing she is the dominant player in the world at the moment gold medal around her neck and we have the start of the fedex series at the uh, Wyndham championship this week so that's where we are just on harris english for a moment this truly was one of the great collapses it's unfair to skip by abraham answer who's a very good player sneaky good up to 11th in the world now abraham answer fourth player from mexico to win on tour but Harris English, he was 20 under at the turn, 20 under at the turn. If you'd said then the playoff target is going to be 16 under, you'd figure he'd be in there somehow. And Bryson was 18 under at the turn, and he ended up finishing eighth. English missed a putt to get into the playoffs. So it was just the most unbelievably entertaining collapse because everybody was collapsing. Like English was collapsing, DeChambeau was collapsing. He, um, he started to hit real trouble on the 11th par three, loads of water, hit a terrible shot there. In he goes and makes a double bogey. He still has a two-shot lead on the 12th. He walks off there, still not feeling good, but he has a two-shot lead, gets to the 14th, another par three, more water, and in he goes again. It was the weakest of weak right misses. It was like a slap, and it must have landed, I don't know, 20 yards short and right of the green. I mean, we saw a bit of frustration. He kind of hammered the tee box on uh, 18 when he 
hit a shot stray and then still had a chance to make a playoff, missed the putt and came in with a back nine of 40. Uh, Bryson, by the way, back nine of 41, he completely uh, collapsed. So what was really interesting about this, Peter, was Harris was saying, Harris English, the effect that almost going on the clock or being warned had on him. So he said, we were warned on the front nine. And in part, that was due to Bryson DeChambeau had to get a ruling on a ball, which was, you know, just under a fence. And that took a couple of minutes. But I mean, nothing extraordinary. I mean, it happens. But he says, we were warned on the front nine, kind of got behind. He felt We felt like we were running pretty much the whole way around. That really caught up. So you're having to run between the green and the tee. And then it's hard for me to slow down, as in when he gets to take his shots. And um, this seemed to massively affect him. And I'm kind of thinking... Like, you're in the last group on a Sunday. Tell them where to go. Don't worry about it. Like, I know the way he says, we were running from green to tea. I'm not sure Bryson was sweating it that much. I couldn't believe that a pro, an experienced pro, let this affect him so much. They wouldn't have dared take a shot off him. I, I Well, they, they haven't done it in the past, so why would they start now? Uh, they can put a lot of pressure on you to to speed up and be on top of you the whole time. But when two people are playing so poorly in the last round by themselves, they're nearly putting each other off. And then they probably try and slow down to find out, you know, okay, slow everything down, calm down, relax, see where I'm going. And then it just goes even more pear-shaped. Um, and Bryson didn't help either. You know, if your playing partner is playing well, at least, you know, they're on the green, they're two putting one putt, you know, and they're off. But both of them were taking drops out of water, drops out of hazards. It was just a, um, it was just a mess. Incredibly entertaining though. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question though? So if you like that stuff, <laughs> the delay starts as you said, Joe, with this ruling that Bryson was looking for. And it was a complicated, not not a complicated one, but it was an iffy one because the ball is kind of half under the, you know, it's, it's tight. You you can't see it really. So you, you definitely need, so he was absolutely right to wait for the referee, absolutely right to call for a ruling. Like he wasn't trying to finesse it at all. And that's where the delay, be- but like if the, the, like how is it their fault that they're waiting for a ruling. Mm. So my question, and Peter, perhaps, you know, from your days on tour, like, would players not be aggrieved going, hang on a second, we're not slow because of me. We're slow because of you, the referee. Like, take your time getting here and sorting all this out. It's not my fault. That That is taken into consideration by the referees. And yes, it's infuriating that you're in the last group and you call for a ruling and the referee could be three or four groups ahead and you're still waiting to come in. So that part of it infuriating. But, you know, in, in, in reality, they should be able to keep up with the group in front at least on a Sunday. Normally Sunday is snail pace anyway, especially mm. for the last couple of groups. Um, so if you can't keep up with the group in front and you're in the last group, like, come on. Yeah, it's very true. I, like, they were just never going to come at him on 20 under at the turn. I just uh, was amazed he was that rattled by it and he was talking afterwards. Now, he didn't want to put the blame at Bryson. I don't know to what extent if the Bryson ruling really hadn't happened, they would have fallen behind. Maybe they were just a bit slow anyway. Like, the wind was swirling and 
it's not like these are, are serial winners. It's a big deal for English. He's going to take his time. Uh, but yeah, he just went to pieces. He really did. And uh, it was quite something. Now, I'm very happy to say we are joined by a man who was there and witnessed it in person. Shane Ryan, it is lovely to have you back on the show. How are you doing? Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks. Your beard is quite something. Very impressive. <laughs> I brought it to Memphis, and I don't recommend it. If anybody's thinking about <laughs> walking around at 95 degree heat with a giant beard, uh, I was going to shave it today, and then I thought, you know, well, I'll just keep it for the Irish guys, and then, and then <laughs> wow, we're big we, fans. We appreciate such growth. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes. It's made for a nice uh, weekend in Connemara in winter, and we'll get you some stew and a pint of Guinness. That's what this beard is calling out for, not Memphis in 95. That's years. right, yeah. I was like, it's verdant like the Irish countryside. <laughs> <laughs> or starring in a play about Karl Marx. That's true, yeah, which I, I'm going to play Angles. But I could yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in Memphis. What's the deal? Are you back out working on something again? Have you got something brewing, or did you just fancy going to see a WGC event? Yeah, no, I've got something brewing, uh, writing a book about the Ryder Cup this year. Uh, and so yes. now we are on the closing stretch. So I'm actually, once we finish here, I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I'm going to head to the biggest tournament, uh, the Wyndham Championship in Greensboro, 40 minutes away. Uh, and then I'll be at the whole playoff series, New Jersey, uh, D.C. and Atlanta. And then, of course, in Whistling Straits. So, yeah, it's going to be crazy, uh, a crazy month, but very excited. I talked with Padraig Harrington the other day. And so really gearing up for the Ryder Cup. Yeah, really dull, unintelligent type. Not much to say, Harrington. Did you get manage to get an okay interview? He's so quiet. You know, it's just one word answers, yes, no, very businesslike. No, it was cool. We uh, actually, his agent is, uh, it was really nice. And we set up a Zoom, which I always prefer to phone calls. And so we were face to face. And yeah, he was wildly entertaining. I could have talked to him for two hours uh, yeah. for sure. I know. We're very lucky we have him over here. Yeah. So listen, Memphis, um, interesting to have the backdrop that it's about the Ryder Cup. And I guess you're sourcing material for the Ryder Cup. Now, I'm sure Bryson is going to feature heavily in this Ryder Cup book because who knows what happens and increasingly so the way it seems the crowds are treating Bryson and at the behest of Kepka. let's be honest. So you followed Bryson Saturday and Sunday, I think for a while, Shane, in particular, back nine Sunday. Back nine Sunday, front nine Saturday. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, it was, uh, it was a little bit better on Saturday, Sunday, the crowds were a lot bigger. It was later in the day, obviously. So, you know, I think people probably had been drinking a little bit, and yeah, as you saw in what I wrote, uh, it's, it was abusive. I thought what, what happened and it's always kind of strange to explain it because what they're yelling at him is just the word Brooksy, which is not on the surface, some great insult or anything like that. It's not, you know, we've all heard people say far worse at sporting events. Um, but the sheer meanness with which they were saying it and the volume of it, which, you know, from the very beginning, every hole, dozens of people yelling at him, it just very felt like bullying and it was kind of ugly. And I was kind of gratified on Twitter because I was trying to make the point that, look, I know this doesn't sound like much, but when you're actually there seeing it in person, it's really terrible. And there were a couple of people who were in Memphis or who had been at previous tournaments who were saying, yeah, like I, I didn't have any idea what it was like and how relentless it was. And, you know, he's somebody, DeChambeau's a strange guy. I don't think we truly have a grasp on why he does the things he does, why he behaves the way he does. But I thought it was clear watching him that it really was bothering him. Uh, and I think it's kind of making life miserable for him. Again, I know he's not always an incredibly sympathetic figure, but I, I actually did feel bad for him that day. Yeah, I did want to ask you about his demeanor because I mentioned just before you joined us that very audibly on TV, we heard him in one instance saying good one as a reply to somebody who had said it in a tee box. 
generally, what can you tell from his demeanor? Yeah, and that was, I thought that was really interesting because that was, I think on the 17th tee, I was right there and it was the culmination of watching the stress, you know, kind of accumulate over the course of the round. Uh, he would do things like somebody would yell from a, one of the hospitality suites would yell Brooksy Adam or, or, you know, get in the water or something like that. And he, he would stop often and stare them down as though he could intimidate them into kind of, you know, but it doesn't work. I mean, that doesn't, these people are completely lubed up and they're not, you know, they're not shame. <laughs> they have no shame in that sense. And so, and plus you go to the next hole and it's an entirely new group of people. So there's really nothing he can do. And that's, I think another important point is I don't know how to stop this. I, I don't see any way for him to stop it. So that's gotta be its own kind of special torture. So yeah, his demeanor just, it, he looks stressed. He looks unhappy. He was mad at other things. He was mad at the coverage of his, you know, vaccination comments, which were idiotic really at the start of the week, but he was, super upset about that. And it, I guess generally it just seems like the stress of being a controversial figure and being picked on constantly on the course is making life not very fun for him right now. Um, when he left the course, I kind of followed him and his agent met up with him or his manager. And he, it was just like a string of expletives, just him kind of letting the anger and tension of the day go. It was talking about his game, like how unlucky he was with certain shots, but not difficult to see that really what he was mad about was this other stuff. And this was kind of the energy release F this F that like, yeah, really, really kind of uh, sad in a way to see. Shane, can you discern if possible, even from a distance, if Bryson is self-aware to the extent that he understands that some of the can you call it, I guess, abrasive behavior that he engages in? Like some of the attitudes he takes, some of the things that he's done has somehow contributed to this level of hostility. Although I hasten to add, and I've really turned around on this over the last couple of months, is, is that it's in no way responsible for this persistent level of abuse. But do you think that, do you think he has a sense? Like, I mean, is he just frustrated but has like, oh shit, it's because of all this stuff or is he just oblivious to it? Yeah, I think that's the tough thing with analyzing Bryson because if you or I or any of us were having this happen to us, in our heads we go, oh yeah, well I would say like the vaccine comments and all, all the weird mm. behavior I do, certainly contributing to this, certainly putting kind of a target on my back where, like you said, the punishment doesn't fit the crime, but at least I can understand why this is happening. But because we have that attitude and because we know that this has never happened to us in the first place. And so the fact that it's happening to him does, I think, mean some degree, probably to some large degree, he is oblivious. And that is the ultimate, it's almost like arguing <laughs> predestination versus human choice, where if we just say <laughs> Bryson is fated to behave this way, it almost makes him more sympathetic to me where it's like, yeah. he could not have done any differently. Mm. This is the way he is, you know, genetically engineered to behave. I don't like to get into clinical diagnoses because I am not an expert, but who knows? Like, you know, if we say like somebody, you know, might be on the spectrum or anything like that, we don't know this stuff. And I'm not saying that about Bryson, but the fact is we don't know why he is the way he is. And we're all making these judgments from our own brains, especially the people who are mean to him are going, well, I wouldn't do those kind of things if I was in that position. Yeah. But he is. And so he's not like us and we don't quite know why he's doing it. Now, that being said, I don't think, you know, there should be no criticism of the guy. I'm all for the columns criticizing. He's a public figure. If he says something, you know, misinformation about vaccines, sure, go after him. But 
again, uh, this level of bullying, I, I think, is really kind of egregious and unfair to him. But I would bet you any amount of money that nobody is shouting Brooksy at him because they disagree with his vaccine comments. Exactly. And that's what people keep doing. They conflate these two issues. They act like these like moron frat boys in the in the gallery are yeah. astute cultural critics of the vaccine stuff. It's like, come on. Like, you know, these are all like MAGA people that are doing this. It's not, yeah, it, these are not, yeah, exactly. That, that, and I think that's a really important point. This is not, they're doing it for the sheer sadistic thrill of it. And that yeah. is very clear in person. Yes. <clears throat> the whole thing reminds me of uh, every time Monty went to the States. Yeah. He used to get the same abuse week in, week out for literally not doing half the crazy stuff that uh, Bryson does. Um. And it's just it's sad, really. And it just goes to show you how it, how it does affect a guy who's going over there to try and play golf. It's virtually impossible. Yeah, it's funny the parallel there, too, with how David Faraday kind of got the Mrs. Doubtfire stuff going. Um, and that was a big thing that really irked him all the time. And because it irked him, people did it more and more. And he could. I think now he says that he's learned to accept it or whatever. He's kind of come to terms with it. But similarly with how Kepka really was the engine of getting this Brooksy stuff going, kind of winking and, and tacitly encouraging it. And it is, it's, it's, it, and it's so tricky because it's the kind of thing where, for me, like I remember the first time reading about David Faraday doing the Mrs. Doubtfire stuff, and just thinking it was so funny. I mean, just, just like a really, I mean, it's a great comparison. It's hilarious. The fact that it made Montgomery mad is hilarious, but then you go right with the truth on the ground of a guy who's trying to do his job and just getting constantly abused. Mm. And it's, a lot less funny. Now, the Brooksy stuff is not even that funny. It's just stupid and, like, basic. But, yeah, it, it, I, think it, I think it's tough for people sometimes to separate the abstract reading of it from the reality on the ground. Yeah. You used the phrase there, moron, frat boys who are doing it. And I totally agree with Fionn. It has nothing to do with his vaccination comments. It has everything to do with a certain type of person recognizing the frat boy in Kepke who enjoys bullying somebody who's a little bit different and they're imitating that and they're part of it because half the fun for the frat boy is to do it with all his mates and to gang up on one person. And, you know, I totally agree with you. People will say, well, hang on, sports people get abused (laughs) the world over, like you compare it with football, but there is no comparison in the world of say soccer or football over here. Uh, It's white noise. You know, it's commonplace. It's directed at every player. The crest on your jersey, frankly, dictates to 99% of the extent who likes you and who doesn't. There's nothing personal about it, whereas this is everything personal. And, you know, just by saying Brooksy, it's a nothing comment. It's like it's a nothing thing to do. But that word now has the power of saying very briefly and succinctly, we don't like you. We're all laughing at you. We can see this is upsetting you. And that's doesn't bother us at all in fact we're kind of enjoying it so actually now brooksy being said to him there's a lot of hate wrapped up in that message to him and it's really nasty and i i was worried about this at the start i thought this was really serious as soon as kepka started escalating it i hated the golf channel video where he can barely stomach bryson walking behind him and you know how that was leaked i would think would be interesting i'm not sure if kepka really didn't want that leaked would it um yeah. have stayed quiet. I don't know what happened there, but the writing was on the wall here for a long time. And this is now the full fruition of it. And as you said, I don't know how it goes away. I think this is going to really make 
DeChambeau's time on tour very, very difficult now. That is not an enjoyable experience to basically have people at, at every moment let you know they don't like you. And nobody else is getting this treatment. Yeah. Yeah, you're completely right. And it's, you know, it's that dichotomy of what you said in team sports of the home and away game, where even if you're getting abused on the road, you justify it in your head saying, if I were on their team, it would be, they would love me. It would be completely mm -hmm. the opposite. So like you said, it's not personal. And for DeChambeau, at this point, every single time he goes out in the course, it feels like an away game and it feels intensely personal. So yeah, you, you said it perfectly. And I think just to echo the point, I think is really important is, yeah, these quote unquote cool kids identifying with like the coolness or the, the superior kind of attitude in Kepka uh, and picking on the outsider. And I think sometimes there's nothing more offensive to that group of people than an outsider who succeeds. And so the, the pleasure in knocking somebody like that down, somebody who's different from them, I think is intense and very, you know, very mean, but it's, you know, there's some uh, mob mentality stuff there that you mm. can kind of dive into. Yeah. Can I ask you about one thing? Is this that, I mean, look, I mean, golf to a lesser or greater degree, there's always been rivalries. I mean, going back 150 years. So people can make comments. I think this level of, of persistent vitriol is, is an entirely different thing, however. But in your estimation, do you think that, I mean, there's always boorishness when there's booze, frat boys, and just dickheads going out and all the baba booey stuff. And oh, it's just, you know, all that kind of nonsense. But do you think that lockdown has kind of amped up the level of boorishness as though there's this, fraction of the population that feels this frustration they can't even identify so number one and number two as gambling becomes more of a issue in golf does this kind of behavior raise the specter that all of a sudden how do you know that there aren't plants in there who are deliberately trying to put off a player so that gamblers you know what i mean i mean harris yeah. english and brooks um, and bryson collapsed Obviously, I have no idea whether it was done on purpose, but the possibility that you can put plants in there who can t deliberately target a player just to put him off for the benefit of gamblers somewhere else is surely something that we have to think about. That's really interesting. I've, I've never thought about that. Um, I, I remember, like, I've had jokes with friends about going to a basketball game and, you know, going and tackling somebody early. But yeah, yeah, I suppose that's... That's a real thing. Uh, that, I mean, it's a real possibility, I should say. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> your lockdown point is a good one. Just anecdotally, having gotten to the point now in the U.S. where I've been gathering with groups of friends that I haven't seen in years or bringing groups of people together, it does feel like the emotions are dialed to a 12 sure. <laughs> when you get yeah. people in person. And, you know, the drama is, is very high. And that, that may be a function, yeah, of this sort of maybe repressed feeling that we've, we've all had through lockdown. I think there's a little bit of that. I also just think that you you said we've always had the Baba Booey. We've always had that kind of energy. You know what I mean? And I think, I hate to make everything political, but I think the political situation in the States has empowered a certain type of person to be mm. even more of a jackass or hope that's not violating any standards here. Um, no, we have no, we have no standards. <laughs> we have no standards. Yeah. <laughs> Good, just like me, no standards. Um, yeah, I think I think it just empowers people to to kind of be more overt in what they're doing, and yeah. yeah, I think that plays a role too. And so you have this ugly kind of cauldron, and yeah, in, in golf it just turns out that Bryson DeChambeau seems to be the perfect target of the moment, and it's yeah. taking and and so like another aspect of this whole thing then is the other players, and 
you know, I said, well, it's it's frat boys ganging up on the outsider. And again, I'm not a huge fan of DeChambeau, I have to say. There's a reason he's an outsider. That doesn't mean we have to treat outsiders in a bad way, but there is a reason he's a bit different. So Harris English, after his round, he said, look, of the of the abuse, that is, he said, it's not fair, it sucks. Bryson hears it, it affects him a little bit, and that causes them to do it more. So we're now past the point of the players saying, well, I didn't notice it or whatever. You know, it's 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 unmissable. Uh, very few are coming out in his defense. I guess English was asked about it specifically because he had played the final round with DeChambeau. You're a good man for kind of building relationships and talking to players anonymously or otherwise. What's the mood amongst the uh, playing tour about DeChambeau and the treatment he's now on the receiving end of? Yeah, and I, I actually asked that question to English just because I wanted to see, to kind of at least just to get somebody else on record. And Harris English is remarkably a nice person in terms of you know the professional golf standards uh, and so i knew if anybody would have some empathy it would be him and he had just been through it obviously you know golf is a selfish sport and i think like you said DeChambeau is certainly not popular and, and for some very good reasons uh at times with his fellow players and so there is probably if people start doing this to jordan spieth which is unthinkable but let's just do the hypothetical you would have people coming out against it so strongly. You would have the galleries policing them. You know what I mean? Like there, there is such decorum or there is supposed to be such an underlying decorum in golf that if it was the wrong person they did it to, it would be a revolt. It would be, it would be squashed immediately because it's the shambo. I think you have a situation where people are slow to come to his defense because they don't like him. And because he's very successful, which are two very annoying qualities when somebody you don't like succeeds, right? <laughs> That's just human nature. Um, and then, yeah, golf itself not being a team sport, we are all focused on our own thing. And so I think something like this, if it's not, you know, a famous person who's well beloved like Spieth or Ricky Fowler, people are going to be slow even to realize that there's an actual issue. It's kind of got to be on the periphery of their minds. So I haven't heard a lot of chatter of people going, oh, this is terrible. This has to stop. I think more and more you'll, you'll see that because it's becoming a bigger issue. Maybe at the Ryder Cup, there will be some kind of show of Team USA solidarity. Um, which obviously we're so great at, you know, <laughs> Team USA, yeah. known, for its, <laughs> known for its solidarity in the Ryder Cup. Uh, so we'll see. But I, again, I don't think it's some an issue that's on the forefront of many players' minds, and maybe that'll change. It's an interesting one because you have, like, say Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed is not popular. He's not well-liked. Yeah. Um, and for very clear and, and stated reasons. And yet, I've never heard of fans abusing him. You know, so it goes back to both yours and Joe's earlier point. There, there's something of the of the of the schoolyard, that horrible schoolyard bullying here of the kid who's got funny glasses or a funny haircut or, he, you know, he, he he walks with a bit of a whatever. And all the other boys and girls or whatever are all ganging up on him because that's effectively what this is. It's interesting. The only round I've ever seen that comes close to what DeChambeau, what I saw from DeChambeau was Patrick Reed at the President's Cup in Melbourne. Now, you had two very specific things happening here, which is that it is a away match, a rare actual away match. So you had everybody rooting against them. And the thing in the Bahamas had just happened a week yeah. ago. So question everybody. But you're right. Of all the stuff he does, he doesn't take on a normal tour event day. He doesn't take a tenth of, of the comments that DeChambeau does. And you wonder if it's you think of all these guys as high status and it would be so weird to think of Bryson DeChambeau as low status because he's a millionaire golfer and he just won the U S open and all this stuff. However, there is something in Patrick Reed that is strong 
that I think we all say, even though we don't like him, we recognize a certain mm. strength where you're almost like he's not impervious and he gets mad at heckling. I saw that in Australia, but he's not weak in the same way where you're like, I can bully this guy where there may be something in the shambo where along with everything else, people can sense that frailty or that underlying vulnerability, I think, that makes, for bullies, makes it more satisfying. Well, for, for a month now, DeChambeau has done a painfully bad job at lying about this yes. thing, you know? It's just good banter, and no, 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 I like it. And at one stage, he says, it's an honor to be called Brooks, which just made no sense and, show, and showed <laughs> how, how hard he was kicking under the water. He, ha he has tried for the last month, I would say, to extricate himself from this whole thing without losing too much face. Exactly. Like he's, he's done everything he can to put coolant on it and to say, oh, no, it's not so bad or say, oh, look, we're in it together. Whereas actually just what he wants to say and obviously can't is this is really bothering me. OK, he wins. He wins. I'm sorry. He wins. Uh, yeah. I give up. I give up. I, I, I'm not part of the if this is a, a thing, I'm not part of it anymore. I want out. And, you know, I guess some kind of misguided pride is stopping him from doing that. And it would be embarrassing to climb down. I just wonder. You know, at this stage, does somebody in DeChambeau's camp need to show a bit of discretion here and reach out to somebody in the Kepka camp and say, look, yeah. our guy's out. He's never going to say your boy's name again. He's never going to do anything to piss him off again. It's, yeah. it's You're not going to see him in a computer game slagging off his abs again. It's 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 you win, you win, you win, you win. Can we cool this? Um, and even if even if DeChambeau doesn't know that's happening, you know, and, and you don't need to say it to Brooks that I said to you, maybe just you plant an idea with Brooks, this isn't the best thing anymore, whatever. Yeah. But I think um, some diplomatic relations may have to ensue here because otherwise the crowd, you know, there's always going to be 10 drunk guys at most tee boxes. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's it, The question is that, yeah, that back channel idea is a very good one. And if I were DeChambeau's team, I already would have done it. But you wonder at this point if anything will stop it, even to the extent of Brooks Kepka coming out, which I don't see him doing and going, yeah. Guys, I was wrong. This is a case of bullying. It's really bad what we're doing to Brooks or to Bryson DeChambeau. Everyone, please stop. If you're a fan of mine, please don't do this. I don't know if that would stop it at this point because it's kind of beyond his control now. Mm. And that's the the interesting thing about it is you're right. He's tried to ride it out. And look, maybe in like three years, they'll be completely done. Maybe this will be over. That That's definitely a possibility. But at the moment, it doesn't feel like it's losing any steam for sure. Surely, though, if you're Brooks and you're sitting at home and you're watching this and you're reading about it, surely there's something in you that says, mm. I have to act here. 100%. 100%. I agree, absolutely. Like, if yeah. you're anyway in an intelligent person, you're sitting back there and you go, right, what am I going to do to fix this? This guy's going through torture. Yes, we've tortured him. It's time to stop. Surely mm. that proves the character of Brooks rather than baiting down and Bryson. And, and the other person that I'm really disappointed in is Jay Monahan that he has done nothing about it, nothing at all. I, I, if I was Jay Monahan, I would have brought both of them into the office, sat both of them down and said, right, you're playing next week, get on with it. And well, every one, thing I, one thing I'll say is you don't know that they haven't done that. You know what I mean? They're, that's, I, you, may, yeah, you, you may be skeptical, but I, I, I find the PGA Tour to be in a difficult position here. I, I have trouble placing blame on them because I don't know exactly what they could do beyond what you're saying. And I don't know that they haven't already done that. Um, but as to the Kepka point, I was saying before, I don't know if it'll stop it and I don't, but I think you're so right that just human decency requires that he do something, even just to put his position out there at this point, because right now I think 
the longer he stays silent, honestly, the meaner it kind of yeah. looks. I mean, the easiest solution imaginable, and by the way, it makes a pretty cool chapter in your book, is if I was him, I would suddenly, I mean, look, I don't, I would never have gone as far as he's gone. But if it had reached this point, I would feel horrific. And I would be reaching out to the Ryder Cup captain and I'd be saying, Steve, put us together. We're going to put this to bed as, as a team. It's the easiest win. Everybody loves the kind of the, the arc of, you know, redemption and we're yeah. back and we've, you know, we've seen arm and arm, arm and arm down the fairway. You know, and they win a, win a couple of points together and it's like put to bed. And both of them kind of can come out of that feeling okay. And again, I get it. The shambles not popular and for probably very good reasons. And so maybe kept is like, oh, that's a bit much. But um, it would put the whole thing to bed. Um, does he have much support out there? So I, I, I get the go Brooksy. Is he getting lots of go Brysons as well, or is it fairly muted on that front? No, he gets, yeah, he gets support, you know, and it is one of those things where it's, you know, the vocal minority can kind of define the tenor and the tone of a gallery, especially in golf, because it's so quiet and so easy to make yourself heard. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, he's got a ton of fans out there. That's, that's the other tough thing about it is that, you could have, let's say you have a dozen people on each hole in a big gallery who are outset to taunt him. Well, that's a dozen out of, you know, thousands. And that's what a small percentage that is. And it's a little bit like Twitter in a way, isn't it? Where you could have a hundred people compliment you, but then one person like <laughs> say something mean about you. That's the thing that's going to stick in your head a little bit more. I, d I, d I don't know what you're talking about. That's yeah, no, you never, <laughs> me either. I, I've personally never been insulted or criticized on Twitter. So this is, yeah, purely yeah. hypothetical. I always forget the 1%. Don't worry about that. No problem. Yeah. Um, no, but it's true. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you do have to learn to do that. But I think, you know, he's doing it. He's dealing with it while he's doing his job. No, it's and it's unheard of in golf. Like, I mean, Monty yeah. aside, I take the Monty comparison, but it's um, it's just not normal for golf. And it's really difficult. By the way, how slow were they? Because we were just talking about the Harris English aspect um, before we let you go. Were they, yeah. I mean, you've watched your fair share of golf. Were they, um, you know, taking the pace a little bit or was it just a touch slow or what were you seeing? Well, the big thing was Bryson's ball that lodged under the fence. If you saw that, that, I mean, that took them, they're both slow golfers, but I don't think it was inevitable that they were going to be put on the clock. However, if you take two slow golfers and throw a wrench in the works, which is this weird situation happening, that's going to take the, you know, the rules official coming in and having a discussion and setting it up. At that point, you're, yeah. I, I actually really do think it bothered Harris English. And he's somebody who, um, you know, I'm a defender of Harris English. I really like him, but I, th I think he's played pretty well under pressure lately. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I don't think he choked. I I just think, yeah, I think he made two really bad shots on the back nine. And I think rushing definitely contributed to both of those. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think it was egregious. I think it, I don't think it was wrong either to be put on the clock. It's just, the, unlucky kind of and right. also one of those strange situations where it wasn't bryson's fault what happened with the ball and it certainly wasn't harris english's fault but english ends up getting punished for something his playing partner you know some weird event that befalls somebody you know he wasn't it wasn't even him so mm. one of those tricky situations that it kind of just sucks for everybody yeah i guess uh, as any good author you're trying to plan this book out and anticipating various results and if Team USA lose, then this Bryson Brooks thing is going to be a big part, I suspect, of the fallout. Parking that for a second, well, actually, you probably can't. But what's your sense of the, sense of the general mood music around Team USA from this vantage point? Yeah. Um, 
team is shaping up pretty well, I think. I mean, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm very much putting aside these things that you can't put aside. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing your mental exercise here of going, you know, if you weren't terminally ill, how would you assess your health? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, I think, yeah, they got a lot of guys playing well. It's cool that Spieth is probably going to make the team. I like that Harris English is going to make the team. Then you got guys, it, it's going to be an interesting fight um, at the end here to see, like, who are going to be, those last three picks, you know, we got Webb Simpson in the mix. He's playing this week in Greensboro, Daniel Berger, guys like that. Who's going to catch fire and get there. But I, mean, I think Europe is looking really, really good and always hard, always hard to win a away Ryder cup, no matter what, but Europe does seem to win half of them. And we win zero of them <laughs> of the away ones. And I think they, you know, Hazel team was one where you looked and you say, yeah, this European team is doomed. Like this is not a good European team. Um, I think this time they have a pretty good squad and it's going to be, I'm, I think it's going to be so much fun and gun to my head right now. I, I just feel like things are, you try to learn from the history of the Ryder cup and learn how important chemistry and planning is and things like that. And I will say, I don't know what kind of captain Patrick Harrington will be, but I do know that he's in the pipeline and he studied under all these other captains. So gun to my head. I just think it's, it's, feeling like a European Ryder Cup to me. Yeah. He'd be quiet and, and you know, shy and re- just sit in the yeah. background and let the others go about their business, you won't, know? Won't have thought through things. Nah. Very nah, deeply, nah. He's just like, guys, you go out and play. You're a professional golfer. See us. I'll see us at the end of it. The one interesting thing about, about Harrington, and I, I think he's like a very personable guy and he's going to do a good job, but the, the strange contrast of him is he's also sort of a, in, as a player, an insular guy, right? He's mm. always kind of, very much in his own orbit, like all great players, where you have someone like Paul McGinley, who you, you kind of perceive him as this all-seeing, all like he kind of has that above-the-trees perspective, and he's so intuitive about people. Padraig is very much, you know, double major winner, former number one in the world, always been kind of his own sort of entourage or whatever. Um, and that, I think, he even said in our conversation that – it's been a, a, a learning curve for him to, to understand that he has to go talk to people and reach out and sort of have this different perspective. Now, when you look at former captains who have kind of been, you, you talk about like insular and do their own thing. You talk about like Tom Watson and Nick Faldo. It hasn't always gone well. I don't think Patrick Harrington is the same creature by a long shot, but it does make you think a little bit of, of what kind of, what the captaincy will be like and, Again, I'm, I'm a European guy right now, but uh, there's there's a lot of intriguing factors here. Okay. Porik is, sorry, just one thing. Porik is very insular, but he, he knows everything about everybody. Um, true, it's, true. it's one thing that he studies everybody else's game. He mightn't talk to them. He mightn't know what personality is, but he knows exactly how far they hit it, their swing speed, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's one thing about Porik that probably people wouldn't recognize. Okay. I have to learn to say that name like you guys do. I, I always sound like an idiot, I think. Porig. <laughs> Porig. Does that sound right? Yeah, no, I, everyone calls him Podrick. I call him Podrick now. Yeah. yeah. So there we are. Listen, Shane Ryan, i looking forward to this Ryder Cup uh, book. How quickly after the Ryder Cup is it due out? What's your deadline? Well, I have to finish in a month, which is <laughs> it's going to be really fun. Okay. Uh, but I'll have a lot done beforehand. And so I, I mm. write pretty fast. So I think I'll be able to do it. No problem. Um, then it'll come out next year. It's just one of those quirks of the book world. Oh. A long time to, to put things out. Um, okay. And I wish it was faster, but probably before the Masters or in May of next year, it'll come out. Okay, great. Listen, always good to have you on, my man. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Yeah, I always love being on with you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank Thanks, you. Shane. Shane Ryan Bye-bye. with us there.
And uh, look out for that book. That is going to be great, I suspect, not least if uh, things kick off the way they could. God, that was all very interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, I have to say, Joe, you you were prescient. Um, Like you were the one who called bullying early doors, you know, like I've I've been a fan of Brooks for a long, long time. Uh, And I just thought this was a bit of two guys going at it and Brooks just being funnier, a little bit kind of wittier maybe. Um, But I've really come around to your way of seeing it. And uh, and just kind of to the point that, you know, you'd ask Shane about like, should Brooks come out and say, or Peter saying that Brooks should come out and say, I couldn't agree more. Like ultimately it comes down to this. Like if Brooks Kepka, who I always assumed to be like a decent guy, you know, like if he had any moral fiber at all, it's incumbent on him to say something because look, he's not responsible for all of it, but he definitely licked the torch paper, you know? Yeah. So going to be very interesting now to see how Brooks reacts. I, I think Brooks has the ability to stop it yeah. uh, or, or at least Paul, you know what I mean? Or just to, it down. S- to say something or to start that sense of just going like guys or to, 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 to start that thing of going guys, what is happening here is actually bullying. This is not, yeah. this isn't now, fun. This isn't banter. No. This is bullshit. Now maybe it's hard when you've literally at the uh, first <laughs> sign of this happening gone online and offered free beer for anyone kicked out for doing it. I mean, you really, you didn't even see where this was going to go then. I'm amazed at the lack of foresight. And again, it's that frat boy culture. It's not thinking with any kind of empathy. It's not thinking with any kind of intelligence. It was just like, oh, this happened. This would be a funny marketing opportunity. I'll give away the free beer. This is so funny. I can't believe they're actually doing this. This is going to be great. Like how no one there in his camp has gone, oh, this is like, there's an escalation. There's another level. Like abuse in golf doesn't really tend to happen. I don't know. Would I have your face and your video offering free beer plastered all over this? Um, so it just shows the people advising these guys maybe aren't the brightest either. No, absolutely. I mean, one one of the one of the biggest sticks that they use to beat Bryson with is the fact that he doesn't shout for or he. I mean, not just that he's not a great one for shouting for, but then when he was confronted by it, he called the guy a liar. Yeah. Say, I always shout for, and yeah. you're like, dude. What are you doing? However, yeah. a bit of context here. How many golfers actually shout for? I saw someone on Twitter put out a video. They found like some old footage of Seve driving one into the crowds and absolutely saying, saying nothing at all. So I'm my point is, is that if there are golfers and there are who don't shout for, it's a busy bunch. Bryson is not sitting in that group on his own. Mm. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, he is still very unlikable. I've gone off him even more in the last while. I do think um, he is at the end of his tether. Like, if you think we came back from lockdown, when was that? July, maybe June, July 2020. And right from minute one, Bryson made himself the most talked about golfer. He had put on all that weight. He was hitting the ball further than ever. The summer of 2020 was about, would Bryson change the game? Remember? And we had a brilliant yeah. hour with Padraig Carrington. And it was all we were kind of talking about. And even then... Uh, Brooks had done the steroid guy, you know, the baseball player, angry. That's right. Yeah. So that was even last summer. So you'd have to say now for for just over 13, 14 months, Bryson has had a lot of glare, a lot of people offering opinions on him. The Brooks thing has been bubbling the whole time. Like this thing has been going on for 14 months, this Brooks-Bryson thing. Asked about it all the time. His form has suffered this year. I'm not surprised to hear from Shane that he was walking off the course effing and blinding and upset. Mm. I would think, and Peter, you know the feeling as a golfer, 
when you're burnt out, when your resilience is gone, when your patience for bad shots is gone, when you're just fed up with the whole thing, when you're feeling a bit tired and you don't even fully realize how tired you are. I get the impression with Bryson, he needs an off-season like nobody's business. He needs to get out of the limelight after the Ryder Cup, let the whole thing cool and calm down and think about coming up, coming back rather in, yeah. in Hawaii or something next year. I, 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 like he massively needs a break, I think. I could actually see him not playing the Ryder Cup. Really? Making himself unavailable. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, Imagine going into that dynamic. Yeah. And like, you know as well, I don't know where the like, who's the, I mean, you suspect Speed is a really important voice in that room now, especially with Phil gone. You get the impression like Speed takes JT with them and a couple of others. You feel like they're more of the... Uh, Brooks variety without being anywhere near where Brooks is, you know, you wonder, will they intervene and say, you need to calm it down a bit, Brooksy or, or whatever. Um, Dustin Johnson's not going to do much. It doesn't seem like a nice dynamic if I'm DeChambeau. That's not a team room I want no. to go in and hang out in. No, I could, I could see him saying, look, lads, you know, head's not in this, body's not in it. I'm I'm out and mm. just disappear off like, like Fionn did, turn off the phone and disappear for a week. And he needs to probably disappear for a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, short of him claiming injury or coming up with a reason that would be acceptable, I think it would be career suicide to pull out. Um, well, maybe career suicide is exaggerating, but I think it would. I think it would just ramp up the level of abuse he'd get. Do you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not a Bryson fan. I think his vaccination comments are, like as Shane said, idiotic to the point of just extreme stupidity. Um, just, he just but, wants to make sure everyone else gets one first. It's such horseshit. <laughs> it, it really, it's like, Jesus Christ, just, you know, just read about Edward Jenner, will you? And the cowpox and small, like for the love of God. And it makes, I texted you boys at one point, uh, obviously I was away and I was like, Bryson, the scientist. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> but this, I have, I have, I have huge sympathy for him as a human being to be to be subject to this, uh, but and and I also have sympathy for him trying to pretend that it doesn't bother him because, as 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 we've all know, as soon as Montgomery let it be known that he didn't like being called Mrs. Doubtfire, I swear to God, it's like the chorus just you know, just got louder and louder yeah. and louder. So he, he's been trying to say, no, nah, it's fine. It's just water off a duck's back. It's doing what Patrick Reed does. Like, do you remember at Glen Eagles? On the first tee of the singles, the crowd booed Patrick Reed so loudly, and he turned around, put his arms out with the driver, and goes, "Give me more, give me more," and they loved it. Yeah, one of my yeah, no, he he bought into it. Jeez, I was just remembering that President's Cup at Melbourne, where oh yeah, well, were they good handing him a shovel? Weren't they here? Do you want a spade? They gave him so much <laughs> abuse on the first tee, and then I mean, this is just karma all over with his tee shot he goes straight into fairway bunker and like yeah. the crowd go great it's just like this brilliant. is too good it's too much it's are too brutal good. though they, they, <laughs> yeah the, the, they the sledge have... masters oh yeah I, I i played in the australian open once hit it on this par five in two i think it was a ninth hole or something like that and of course four putted right now after the second sorry after the third part third putt shout from the crowd goes pick it up <laughs> no <laughs> yeah so well they are we mean. won't 
we won't labor this point anymore, but very interesting and kind of good to get the first hand account from Shane that it's, you know, not, I'd say TV is blocking out a lot of this. And I mean, it was funny, even when DeChambeau had hit a really bad shot and his round was going to pieces and the camera was lingering on him waiting to hit his tee shot. And he, he could, you know, you, you, he could sense the camera pointed towards him. And so he looked to his left and saw the camera and like gave this real wave as if to say, yeah, I know you're filming me because my round's going badly. And I'm, you know, it was, it was a smile of contempt. And, you know, it harked back to last summer again. It was every week last summer, last summer when he was giving out about being filmed when he did a bad bunker shot because it was bad for his brand. And, you know, he should give me space after I hit a bad shot. So, you know, even, even that aspect had lingered a year. You knew exactly what he was doing when he was waving this silly smile to the camera again of kind of contempt. So that was him. English blew up. Felt very sorry for English in a way. Hideki shot a 63. Sam Burns shot a 64. Eight shots off the lead at the start of the day. They were in the playoff. Answer wins. That was last week. Rory went 66, 66, 66 <laughs> to, uh, to finish uh, in a tie for 12th. So um, he was, la I sent you guys, I sent it like a photo through. He was um, certainly on the Thursday. I watched a lot of it. It must have improved clearly, but he was. Um, 65th of 66 players for uh, putting Sergio yeah. was uh, last. So mm -hmm. there was an aspect of that. Larry was uh, finished 23rd in the way. And Cam Smith, by the way, shout out to him on the 18th, where he took driver, shouldn't have taken driver, went into trees, had the tiniest gap of all time, uh, didn't need to take it on, took it on anyway. It was a terrible idea. Before he took it on, they said it was a terrible idea. It was like such an, it's what I do. So he takes it on, naturally enough, hits the tree, bounces out of bounds. He's gone. He's burned like a quarter of a million in two minutes. So he missed out in the playoff by two shots, which was... Uh, and he said after his look, I'm here to win, which I kind of respected. So that, that was uh, the WGC. Did you read uh, Rory's own comments about his driver? One. Um, that he was stating to the fact that he, he, he was going to go back to swinging the club. He did. Um, uh, about uh, swinging the club back, back more, dropping it on the inside and letting his hands work. He oh. had, he had tried um, very much to use his body, but realized that why would I change my most natural thing? And eventually he's coming to his senses. That was really interesting. And in effect, what he was saying was he almost felt a little bit resentful when people said, oh, look, he's so naturally talented. You know, and so he wanted to find something which was more reliable, I guess. And then he thought to him, he, he said, I kind of thought to him to myself, hang on. So what if I've got great hands? I should use them. Mm. And so he's now gone back to saying, well, if I have this ill-defined thing called talent, I'm going to use it. So he's now going to hang back like he always has and let those hands go, Peter. Look, you know, that's that's what we all talked about. He, 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 you know, we were saying that, or I was saying that he was quite flat on the takeaway and, and, and now he's getting it back to where he is. But I wonder how that's going to work out, though, with his, um, you know, new coaching ideas that, um, what's his name? He can't. No, we need a new rule in this podcast. Now games go again. A new rule. Yes. When, Pe when Peter forgets a name, yes. that's always a case of you when. You jump in there. We don't help him out anymore. We just oh, jump in there. No, I, I wanted to see how long it would take jump you to Jump in there quickly. Pete I Cowan. told you already, Pete Count. Pete no, Cowan. yeah, no, well, but, I, but in future, you don't tell him. 
Yeah, just I was watch. actually thinking that while I was talking and couldn't think of it. Yeah, this but is a man anyway, who's spoken. This is a man who's given you lessons personally. You've seen on the range a couple of hundred so times. times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, obviously, I have something going on. Up What's there. my name? Go. Having a clue. Anyway, Pete Cowan. I wonder what Pete Cowan is thinking of his comments. Yeah, is it not possible um, though for Rory and Pete to say, or for Rory to say to Cowan? Because I sort of said this to you before, and I, I do think it's possible. Look, I'm going to swing the driver the way I swing the driver. Let's implement a different swing pattern for the wedges. I would have thought that should be very doable. Yes and no. Uh, well, yes, meaning yes, it, it is possible to go and say that. No, being a coach thinking, you know, this is the way we need to do it. You, you've come to me for consistency. This is what consistency is. You know what I mean? If you're not going to do it this way, then how can, you know, I help you? as much as I possibly can. Yeah, that'd be quite rigid. My answer to that would be, look, Pete, I hit the driver pretty well. Always have, always will. I need you for my wedges. So let's focus on them. I'll, I'll look after dri driver. Driver's my responsibility. If that's not going well, that's on me. You look after my wedges. In, in reality, you should swing the club the same way all the time, though, Joe. Yeah, but he can't. Swinging the club that way with his wedges is not a good idea. Not? No chance, no. No. So I just think it's a fairly, I mean, simple point. Driver, it works great. I can handle it with the driver. Always have wedges. That's where you come in. And I'll do whatever you say with the wedges. And he has improved his wedges. Yeah, he has. Like he has improved his um, all control sub substantially. Um, his... improved. I think we lost you there. You gone? We did. You went all electronic. Can you hear me back? We can. Yep. I'm guessing you said his proximity to the hole improved. Yeah, I did indeed. Yeah. No, it has. Good. Yeah. Joe, you're like you're like you just have a sixth sense. That's the thing. You just listen. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. Roy's doing that, but you know as well. <laughs> I just, um, I just sort of laughed myself and I was like, okay, this is the this is the new thing for this week, you know, and it's you know, something else in two weeks time. And I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not getting into it now because it's a nice sunny day and point? we've talked it about is. it a lot, but I probably um, am um, more worried about Rory now than I've ever been. I do. I, I really do now think that could be, that could be it really in terms of majors. I think there's just too much wrong there and too many mistakes, but um, stranger things have definitely happened that doesn't mean I don't, on balance, I still think he will come good eventually, but I'm as, I'm as worried as I've ever been, for sure. Don't know, I wouldn't think I'm alone in that. No. No, you're not. So, uh, Wyndham Championship, the uh, FedEx playoffs are on. Colin Marikawa, Colin Marikawa is top of the pile. Jordan Spieth is second. Jordan, I mean, this is consistency all over. Patrick Cantlay is third. Harris English is fourth, by the way. John Ram is fifth. Abraham Anser sixth. Bryson seventh. I know we keep saying Bryson's had a very bad season, and yet here he is seventh in the FedEx. West Hazen is eighth. Justin Thomas ninth. And Sam Burns makes up the top 10. And then there's a couple of interesting names kind of hanging around outside the one, two, five, you know, which have to you finish inside to make the Northern Trust. So Ricky Fowler is at 130. We have 
No, no one else that interesting is just outside. Tommy Fleetwood, 136. Justin Rose, 138. Well, it's a huge week for people who are outside the bubble to keep their card in America. And then it's a huge week on the Corn Ferry Tour. <laughs> the Corn Ferry Tour. Sorry, not deep. Uh, the different playoffs. To, oh, it's, um, it's tough. You're gone, Peter. You're gone, I missed, Peter. We missed. I, last I heard was you saying corn yeah, fairy. Yeah. Corn. It's a, huge, it's a huge week for people who need to keep the card, and then it's a huge week yeah. for people on the corn fairy tour as well. <laughs> so the corn fairy tour is, isn't it? The top um, twenty-five go yeah. into the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I quite like. Um, where are you guys on the FedEx? Where are you guys on the FedEx? I have to say, it's really grown on me. I'm kind of looking forward now to the next series of weeks. I think you've got all the big names playing because they all want the money, and there's at least some intrigue around those who are fighting to keep their card or make it through to the following week. I don't mind it at all. I have to say, I don't think it's the worst part of the golfing season at all. Fion. Yeah, I think the only thing that's missing is that for the final event, they should take like whatever it is. Is it $18 million this year? The, yeah. So they should they should have it in like $10 notes in a clear box brought down by a helicopter and just left at the edge of the 18th green because that will really add that little touch of class, yeah. you know? No, um, I, I'm, I'm being facetious. No, I actually, I'm okay with it. Just in terms of trying to figure out a way to to climax the season and obviously because they wanted to to rival other sports and the way they have their playoff it's i mean they've tinkered with it for so many years now yeah i'm i'm okay with it i think it works and yes. and it definitely amp it definitely amps up the excitement so you know yeah. like there's a lot of jeopardy going on yeah and that makes the next couple yeah, of weeks yeah, yeah. very bearable as we head towards Ryder Cup so um you were reading an interesting interview Paul McGinley gave to yeah. Derek Lawrence in the mail he did, yeah. So he's talking about basically about the European Tour and its challenges in the face of what he calls the Saudi disruptors. You know, the is it called the PGL? So and McGinley, who you know, as as uh... oh, sorry, mute button. Shoot, McGinley. Yeah, so um, McGinley gave this interview to Derek Lawrenson about the Saudi, what he calls the Saudi disruptors. And uh, he kind of warns of disruption coming for about three, four years. So this isn't just like a, a momentary thing that's going to be solved this winter. Um, he said that the European tour, and he's speaking here as a European tour board member, um, has to be prepared or is prepared to lose some Asian tour tide events and even other Middle East stops because the Saudis aren't going away. They just aren't. They really, really want to cement their place in the golfing landscape. And uh, they're going to siphon off some Asian tour events. And obviously the Middle East is their back garden. So they're going to definitely be operating there. And, um, you know, and, McGinley raises the question, look, if the Saudi event becomes part of the Asian tour, will Jay Monaghan give the defending champion Dustin Johnson a release to get his you know, $2 million appearance fee? Or, or is Keith Pelley going to grant releases for the leading Europeans to play? And he says, this is the path we're on. And I imagine there's going to be lawyers involved. Like it's going to get legal. 
Um, so he says that, you know, look, we've spoken to the Saudis on a number of occasions. We would love um, them to continue to be part of our tour, but they see it a different way. They think golf is stale and want to come in as disruptors and change the whole DNA of the game. The Saudi lawyers reckon the PGA Tour can't stop the players from joining and still being members, but Jay is adamant, this is Jay Monaghan, that he can, uh, continued McGinley. Unfortunately, it's looking like we'll end up with a massive legal case. And uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, like, you know, and he's pretty bullish about it. He says, look, we're not going to be, just in terms of the alliance that the European Tour has signed with the PGA Tour, he goes, we're not going to be eaten up by the PGA Tour. They come in with a proposal to accelerate the path we wanted to go down, and it's left us in an incredibly strong financial position. Um, now, as we've discussed umpteen times on the podcast, this is a strategic plan because it's a bulwark against the likes of the Saudis with their endlessly deep pockets and their clear desire to be to be a presence in golf um but and then he finishes off with ultimately we'll get to where everybody wants to be but we're going to have to suck up some disruption lads this has happened before this has happened in asia um the asian tour and one asia were two different tours operating in the same place Mm. one asia came in and did their own tour school had their own tournaments and the Asian tour then banned their players from playing in one Asia events, which didn't work out well for them. So what they did was they fined them for every time they played in a one Asia event, they had to pay the Asian tour a fine and they weren't released. So therefore they got a fine. One Asia died a death eventually, but I believe the Saudis have gone in and they've bought the Asian tour, mm. which means they've bought the rights to, the Malaysian Open, Hong Kong, um, and all throughout the Asia. There are a couple of really good events. Remember those big events in Singapore that they had as well? Yeah. Um, but, but, but Peter, isn't the big issue? Now, obviously, the European Tour have the safety of the PGA Tour helping them out or, or having this deal with the PGA Tour. But the very reason why the European Tour has these sanctioned events in Asia and the Middle East is precisely because that's where the money is. It's not in European Tour events played in Europe with maybe one exception or whatever. So <clears throat> if the Saudis are going to cream the European Tour's money earners, what does that mean for the European Tour? It dies a death. It, 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 it's going to die a death because where do you play January, February, March? You're certainly not going to play in, in uh, Europe. No. Um, daylight, you can't guarantee weather, et cetera, et cetera. And, and do you think, and like, because if you really wanted to be kind of real politique about all of this, PGA Tour doesn't owe any loyalty to the European Tour. Like we as Europeans and you know, there's a legacy there. The European Tour has been around for 50-odd years. Um, the PGA Tour, the, you know, co-sanctioned events, so on and so forth. But, like, if the PGA Tour sees that its future is best served by a new alliance with, say, a Saudi-backed group, won't they then go there and kind of say, look, lads, sorry about this, but this is how it is? I don't think they'd even say sorry, Fionn. Yeah. They just move straight away. PGA Tour have been so strong trying to get into different events. Like, first of all, they went to uh, Australia. They played Corn Ferry Tour or Nationwide Tour in Australia. 
That was the first step. Second step was China. Um, then they went to Singapore. They played a, a US PGA event in Singapore. Um, so they've dipped their toes in this water before. And look, if I was an up-and-coming pro right now, I'd be severely worried about where I will be able to play my tournaments. Yeah. And and how much money I'll be playing for. Um, it will be the rich get richer. It'll be your premiership uh, league where your players are getting paid zillions of dollars. But your division two and division three will be struggling to make a living. That's um, just the and, case now. And, and that's it, it, it. Well, it's going to prove even worse now because yeah. I, I really wanted to ask Shane when he was on there, but we didn't have enough time. What, what the impact or what the thought process or what's happening, what's the on the ground feeling of America joining ranks with the European tour. If any, do they care? Was has been anything said? I wouldn't say it's even been mentioned. Yeah, I, I agree. Possibly, possibly I don't think not. either. I mean, because like, here's the thing. I mean, like, why would the PGA Tour care about the Madeira Open or you know? Yeah. Um, this is going to keep on going and going. Definitely, something's a brewing. That's for sure. This isn't just um, kind no. of a, an interesting story anymore. There are things happening. Just before we go, um, there were loads of uh, conversations about slow play on Discord, which I might come back to. This was in the back of the English. Deshambo situation. And also, Peter, uh, somebody with a very good memory remembered you saying some time ago in the pod that if you were turning professional now, you would do things quite differently. And they wanted to know, what did you mean? What were you talking about? I, I, I would listen to myself. I made a huge mistake in when I potentially nearly lost my card in 2013. I went down to Australia, flew to Australia, I was 118th in the order of merit, needed to finish top 115, had to finish top 20 to get it. Uh, eventually, I don't know how I did it, but I did it. I am um, sorry to interrupt. I we spoke I'd, to you. I'd started an off the ball then. I remember I interviewed you about that, actually. Right. Mm. And that Sorry, there... sorry. Do you not remember? No. Yeah, because we made the difference, no, I'm, Peter. I'm, I'm, Peter, do you not remember that interview? No. All right, fine. What's your name again? <laughs> <laughs> We Mate. interviewed him on the pod. In no, the we didn't. Days. I did it on my own. Oh, was it you and your own? Oh, we must have talked to him a little bit later then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, Joe, look at the difference you make. Well, Joe, just saying, you know, you kept we your We were card. only talking to him about that before we came on air. Yeah. Anyway, I kept my yeah. card. And I, I, I phoned home and I said to my wife, I'm going to take the year out. I am emotionally, physically, absolutely battered, drained, whatever you want to call it. I'm gone. And I listened to somebody who was not inside my camp at the time or who was inside my camp, but I shouldn't have listened to. Um, and I tried to play the next year and I knew it was the wrong thing. I was burnt out. Um, so that, that, was the, what, that was the biggest thing I regret in my career is actually not listening to your body, listening to yourself. So any of the young pros out there, try listen to yourself. Isn't that something, though, Peter? It's interesting because it echoes exactly what Troy Merritt said to us the first time we interviewed him when he talked about, like, the thing that he learned most in his years on tour is that for the first few years, you know, 
the young acolyte, keen to learn, watching more experienced players. So he kind of jumped from Sally to Jack to Jim to Job, you know, trying different things. And it was only when he gained a little bit of confidence that he realized that that ultimately his success is going to be best defined by listening to himself and has done so ever since. It's an interesting, it's an interesting one. Uh, and it's something obviously as a non-pro, we, we f- perhaps, we, we aren't aware the extent to which a young pro showing up on tour, you know, they might be backed up by a good team, et cetera, et cetera. But like, they're still at the mercy of lots of different ideas that mightn't, mightn't necessarily suit them. Yeah. I mean, it's also what you said there. Like every job. Sorry, go on. You did a delay. Go for it. Sorry. Yeah, apologies. Internet here is poor. Um, uh, It's like every job that you do. do. If you don't listen to what's the the little fella banging in your head on, if if you're going against your gut feeling, then you have a severe problem because – I, I personally believe every time you go with your gut, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. No, you're right. Like Bryson and vaccines. I, uh, what you described there is when we all stand up to a golf shot. Well, you don't really do this because pros have good posture and alignment and everything. But when the amateur stands up and says, something's wrong here. I'm, I'm, whatever way I've set up, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. I'm going to hit it anyway. Oh, fuck it, I'll hit it anyway. I might say. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I use my hands. It'd be grand. And guess what? I didn't. Shit, yeah. why didn't I step away just once? Yeah. Ah. yeah. It's um, true. We got to wrap this up. We got to wrap this up. Uh, so uh, Operation low hand, Left Hand Low Pudding going very nicely, everyone. Don't worry oh, about yeah, me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about me. Played Balcaric this week in the open comp. And? Still in the first... Very short uh, par four, Balcaric. There's water all down the right. All you have to do is clip a six iron slightly left towards a bunker and you've got a, you know, 40-yard chip onto the green. So I shanked the first into the water, scratched nice. that hole. Yeah, yep. nice scratch. And played the remaining 17 holes in three over. Oh! Thank you. So is that. So for a, a creditable five... 41 points. I missed... Uh, I missed the uh, I missed a ten foot birdie put with my new grip, I guess, but uh, for for forty two, but forty one points. But did, did you did you at least threaten the hole? Oh, I the club the ball is coming off the club face the way I imagine every time, so it's just That's down nice. to either my reading or you know whatever. But uh, we're in the honeymoon did you play phase. With, uh, did you play with McIntyre? No, right. he can't play Tuesdays. All right. Yeah, his father in law's often there. Actually, we always wave at each other from afar. So there we are, Peter. You said it was just a honeymoon phase, but you know what? Got the big momentum now. This could oh, be yeah. a long honeymoon. Yeah. How, how how long are we into it now, Joe? Uh, three weeks. Three weeks. Ah, yeah. Don't yeah. don't because because actually, weeks, if you put a timeline on it, that'll get into my brain and fester. Because actually, I was feeling great about it until you said it's just a honeymoon, and then I thought, <laughs> shit, it is just a honeymoon. Uh, reality will bite. Yeah, sorry, my language there. Excuse me. Just uh, getting very loose in the last couple of minutes. Fellas, we are pretty much done. So uh, Wyndham Championship, Ladies Scottish Open. Leona Maguire is playing that, by the way, uh, this week. And we will talk uh, next week. Keith Petty is coming on the podcast pretty soon, which we're excited to say. It's going to be a full house next week. Imagine that, the uh, the Fab Four together next Thursday. So we'll talk to you then. We'll be keeping an eye on Discord over the weekend. Thanks very much, everyone. Cheers, guys. <laughs>